For our last reading, we return to the Gospel of Luke that we've been studying together. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Luke's account has three sayings of Jesus. Let's listen to those from verse 33. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, let's read it together. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This statement of Jesus just shows how sweet our Savior is, that he was thinking to pray for those who were mistreating him, praying for their forgiveness in that moment. His heart for those who were mistreating him is the same heart that he has for us as we're here tonight. 700 years before Jesus said those words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The prophet Isaiah recorded an announcement about the Messiah who would come and mentioned that he would pray for transgressors. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors one on each side. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercessions for transgressors. I want to remind you that Jesus is a forgiver. Is that not good news? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prayed for those who transgressed against him and put him to death. And he prays for us. Our Lord prays for us. He's praying for you now. He wants to forgive you. His heart is to forgive you. He went to the cross because of forgiveness. This saying of Jesus, Father, forgive them, is one of the most moving statements of Jesus on the cross. And while he spoke... Rulers scoffed, soldiers mocked, and the criminals railed against him. Verse 39 of Luke 23. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And suddenly you have an apologist for Jesus who is being crucified there, but announcing his own guilt and Jesus' innocence. Do you not fear God? We live in a world without the fear of God. But we fear God. Yes? Yes. 
we fear a God who would send His own Son into the world to allow Him to be crucified so that we could be made well. We fear a God who has that power and at the same time that love and compassion. There is no God like our God. Fear God. Do you not fear God? This man has done nothing wrong. And so verse 42, we lead into the next statement of Jesus. And the criminal said, well, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. No more beautiful words are in the Bible than Jesus in the moment of his death, looking to the one on his side and saying to him, you will be with me. Why? Because he acknowledged, I deserve death. This man is the innocent son of God. I do fear God. Oh, Jesus, save me. And Jesus said, I will. You know what I learned from this? I, I learned that it doesn't matter how horrible you have been for all of your life. Did this criminal earn paradise? You know he didn't. He spent his life probably in criminality. And in the moment of his death, he turned to Jesus and Jesus said, I will save you. How great is that? I, it's not too late for you. And there is nothing that you have done that is beyond the forgiveness of Jesus. Today you will be with me in paradise. Faith can do that. I want you to hear Jesus say that. And, and if, if he is your Savior and Lord, I want to say to you with certainty, your sins are forgiven. If you rest in Jesus Christ alone and you acknowledge, I deserve death, you are the innocent son of God. Jesus, save me from my sins. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus can give life. He's able to do that. He's able to give life because he said, um, as the good shepherd in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. He was able on the cross to give that criminal paradise that day. The last statement that Jesus makes begins in verse 44. Now, it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, a miracle, a judgment of God over all the land. And while the sunlight failed and the curtain in the temple was torn in two, an amazing work of God that only God could do to rend, open the Holy of Holies. And then Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. 
And having said this, he breathed his last. No man took Jesus' life from him in the ultimate sense. Though the Jewish leaders orchestrated it, the Roman soldiers carried it out, and the crowd antagonized for it to be done. But God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus said, I have authority to lay down my life, and I have authority to take it up. No man takes my life. You realize Jesus came into the world for this purpose, to go to Calvary out of love for us and a desire to heal us of our worst problem, our sins. And he did it. And it's paid. And it's final. And I just want to encourage you, if you came into church tonight unsure that God could save you, these accounts are reminders to us that Jesus paid it all for all who will bow before him and call him Lord and Savior. Amen. One last text that will help us be ready for communion. First Peter chapter 2. Jesus committed no sin, right? No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he didn't threaten back, but he continued as he yielded up his spirit, entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, not my will but yours. If it's possible, let it pass, but I, I trust you, God. If you've ever had a trust problem with God, I mean, Jesus is our model. He entrusted himself to God who judges righteously, and then he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we who die to sin might live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed, healed from the sin problem. We're all straying like sheep, right? We've all gone astray. But now we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. With that in our mind, that we have returned to him, who paid our sins, I want us to take communion together. You're going to be given a piece of bread and a cup. And the bread is the symbol of the broken body of Jesus. When you eat it, you'll be reminded that this is his body, which was pierced and broken for you. And when you receive the cup, Jesus said it's the new covenant, a new promise in my blood, I promise to forgive you. I promise to give you eternal life. I promise to make you my children. I paid the price for that. It's a covenant. Now, as we take communion at Calvary, tonight we're going to come forward, and there will be stations, six here in the front and three in the back. And I would encourage you, please, to stay in the line in the aisle, not beyond the first row so that there's space up here in the front. And then when you come, either as a couple, um, you, you can come. And you'll be given the bread. And I encourage you to eat the bread here. And then you'll be given a cup and drink the cup here at the front. There's a little receptacle for you to drop the cup in when you're done. And then you can return to your seat. If you come as a family, that's great. Um, but don't come as a team of 10 friends. 
okay? So it, uh, but, but come together as a couple and remember the Lord's death for you. We're admonished to prepare our hearts, so let's pray silently. If you're helping to serve, would you come? We're just turning away from our sins and saying, Lord Jesus, we trust you as the innocent, perfect Son of God. You are our Savior. We remember you, Lord Jesus, as we eat and drink tonight. You're welcome to come now, as you will.